All right, all right. Well, uh, I guess I'll be the third to say it. Happy Father's Day, all of the good dads, only the good dads out here. And, uh, you know, there are no perfect dads apart from our uh, Heavenly Father, apart from God, but there are respectable dads. There are honorable dads. There are good dads. And today, we honor you. Tomorrow, all bets are off. But today, we just want to say thank you. We love you. Thanks for uh, caring for your kids and being gentle with them, protecting them, providing for them, modeling uh, what it looks like to uh, walk with Jesus uh, for them and teaching them, coaching them, all those kinds of things. And in addition, it's not only Father's Day, but in addition, in our family, it's uh, my wife's and, and my anniversary. And so, you know, hey, I know, pretty cool. So we made it to uh, 29 years, and uh, yeah, and uh, so uh, we got married young, in case you want to know, yeah. I was, you're like, you were 10. Um, uh, anyway, so uh, no, we were, yeah, Joy was 19, I was 21, but um, anyway, so uh, 29 years, and so lots going on. We got Father's Day, we got our anniversary. We got final round of the U.S. Open if you're into golf. We've got four days until the NBA draft. We've got roughly, actually exactly, 76 days until the start of the college football season. There's a lot going on today, all right? So um, anyway, um, I just, uh, I do um, cherish my wife and, and love her so much and believe that the Lord put us together and, um, and she's just, she's been amazing. And, and, uh, so, you know, it's rare that our anniversary would fall on a Sunday. So would you help me and just honor her today and say, way to put up with Joel. Yeah, there we go. So wherever you are. All right. There you are back there. All right. So, uh, well, um, this past week, I uh, started working around the house a little bit, and um, <clears throat> there's this wooden kind of deck way that uh, leads up to our front door, and so it needed some work, and so first I, uh, I sanded it, and then I stained it, and then I waxed it, and now I know karate, and um, <laughs> you're like, you waxed it? No, but it felt with, it fit with the joke, but... Um, <clears throat> Um, and some of you know, uh, if you know much about me at all, then you would know that I think one of the greatest films ever created was The Karate Kid. Thank you. <laughs> I'm glad that's coming through. And, um, and the reason why some of you don't appreciate it as much as I do is because is uh, I understand it and you don't. And, um, and you know, because The Karate Kid is not a love story, all right? Um, his girlfriend doesn't even make it to Karate Kid 2, for crying out loud. And it's not an action movie at all. Uh, there's no, you know, confusing Ralph Macchio with Vin Diesel uh, or Liam Neeson. It's, it's none of those things. It's actually, fundamentally, the way I think of it is a story about discipleship. You know, you got this student-teacher relationship, apprentice-master kind of thing going on. And, and who the student or who the master is, the student observes, you know. And who the ma what the master says, you, you do. And where the master goes, you, you follow. No hesitation, no um, questions asked, you know. No matter how difficult, no matter how uncomfortable, no matter how perplexing it is. It doesn't make sense that I'm, you know, sanding the floor. Whatever it is, you know, wax on, wax off. And you know, I'm, I'm just doing it. You just follow. That's your job. You, you just kind of, you listen, you observe, and you follow. And that's really what we're talking about today. Um, a couple weeks ago, I started this little three-week series 
um, called Come. And uh, it's predicated, it's based on this passage in John chapter 1, verse 35 and uh, following. And so we're going to look back at that text again uh, today. And I won't read through all of it this time, like I did last time, but just, just a few verses. So let's pick it up here. Verse 35 of John chapter 1. The following day, John, and this is John the Baptist, if you know a little bit of your Bible there, but uh, the following day, John the Baptist was again standing with two of his disciples. You see, John the Baptist had, had followers, right? And as Jesus walked by, John the Baptist looked at him and declared, look, there is the Lamb of God. We're going to look at that more closely next week, um, but here we go. Verse 37, when John the Baptist, two disciples, and this it's Andrew and very likely John. Um, I know that gets confusing. John's following John. But anyway, heard this. They followed Jesus. So John and uh, Andrew weren't the first to hear about Jesus, weren't the first to know anything about Jesus or, uh, you know, um, see Jesus. But they were two of the first to actually follow Jesus. In verse 38, I love this. Jesus looked around and saw them following. He's like, what do you want? <laughs> he asked them. And they replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, this title of respect, where are you staying. And so this is discipleship language. Um, this is a language that's communicating admiration. Like, where, where are you staying? Because we want to hang out with you. You know, we want to spend some time with you. We, we want to get to know you. And Jesus doesn't, you know, pressure them or expose them of their sin or whatever. He just says this in verse 39, come and see, meaning where are you staying? Well, well come along and I'll, I'll show you. And you get to spend some time with me, and, and you can observe my life and see how I live and that sort of thing. And you see, when you spend enough time around Jesus, eventually your exploring becomes something more than fact-finding. Uh, eventually, you might hear an invitation to follow Jesus. And we're, we're going to see that shortly. Verse 39, come and see, he said. And it was about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And when they went with him to the place where he was staying, they remained with him the rest of the day. So they, they went with him and they remained with him. Another translation reads this. It says, so they went and saw where he was staying and they spent the day with him. They went and they spent. They went and they spent. You get it. Let's say that together. They went and they spent. So they followed and then they remained with him. They spent the time with him. And notice the pronoun here. Our culture is obsessed with pronouns right now. But anyway, uh, it says they. Second uh, person or third person plural rather uh, uh, pronoun. They. So this isn't one person with multiple personalities. It's multiple people with one person, capital P person. And so there's multiple of them and they, they went and they spent time with Jesus together. And in Christian circles, what we would call that is fellowship. Um, multiple people centering their lives on Christ, following Jesus, spending time with Jesus, but together. It's, it's fellowship. All right, verse 40, it says, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who had heard what John uh, said, as I already mentioned, and then followed Jesus. So they went and they spent. They, they followed, they fellowshiped, 
And they did so together. Verse 41, Andrew went to find his brother Simon and told him, we found the Messiah, which means the Christ or the anointed one, this, uh, the, the deliverer, the savior, so to speak, the rescuer. Verse 42, then Andrew brought Simon, Simon Peter, to meet Jesus. And looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, your name is Simon, son of John, uh, uh, but you will be called Cephas or Kephas, which means Peter. But look at verse 43. And this is the last verse of this text here. Verse 43 says, the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee, this like county, this region north of Judah, Jerusalem area. And he found Philip and said to him, come follow me. And this is what rabbis in the uh, first century Israel would do. They would find disciples and then they would invite disciples and then they would teach these disciples. They would find and they would invite, come follow me. And then they would teach them and they wouldn't just teach them with words. They would teach them with actions. In other words, the idea of an apprentice, the idea of a disciple was to be as much like the master as possible. The invitation <clears throat> To come and see is an expectation to move. We talked about that last two weeks ago, right? The invitation to come and see, come and, come and hang out or whatever. It's, you have to leave where you're at and go <clears throat> where someone's calling you go, in this case, Jesus. Leave where you're at, leave that behind, go and be with Jesus. But the invitation to come and follow, or we might say come and live, is an expectation to, to grow or to be transformed or to spiritually mature. And the gist, I think, of what Jesus is saying here when he says, come follow me, to Philip, is listen, everyone is following something. Everyone is following something or someone and I want to invite you to not follow those other things, but instead to follow me. But I should probably warn you, because if you're serious about following me, you're going to learn a lot of things. We're going to go on this journey together. In fact, you're going to learn a whole new way of living life by following me. And eventually, if you are persistent, and if you keep following, one day you might look in the mirror and not really recognize who you are because you've been changed. And the reason why you've been changed is because you have spent time with me. And this is what happens in every relationship. If you spend enough time with people, we become like them and they become like us. When we spend enough time with God, with the Lord, with Christ, we become like him. He doesn't become like us, but we become like him. And so this is, again, this is discipleship language. Come and follow me. You see, discipleship starts with an attraction. Come and see. But then that turns into an invitation. Come and follow. Observe, watch, notice, study. Jesus says things like, hey, you guys, this is how you should pray. If you know that text, like in Matthew chapter 6. You're, wanna, you're wanting to observe the rabbi. You're wanting to notice how does he respond to his enemies? How does Jesus, this rabbi, respond when he's with tax collectors and, and sinners? What does he say? What does he do? When he cry, what, what, cries, what does he cry about? What does he love? What does he hate? What is he for? What is he against? 
You're picking up everything by being in his presence. This is the idea of following Jesus. So what you need to know is following Christ or being a disciple of Christ or just being a Christian, which means little Christ, they're all interchangeable words. They mean the same thing. To be a Christian is to be a disciple, is to be a follower of Jesus. Now, here's where it gets tricky. Let's see if you guys can track. In order to be a follower of Jesus, you've got to actually, any guesses? Follow Jesus. Okay, did I lose any of you? Okay, in order to be a follower of Jesus, you have to actually follow Jesus. But sadly, a lot of people, a lot of professing believers um, claim, make claims that they follow Jesus. I am a Christian, right? I know very little about Jesus. I haven't been to church in three years. I, whatever, but I am a Christian. I'm a disciple. I'm a follower of Jesus. The Hebrew word for disciple is talmid. The plural is talmidim. And if you are a Christian, that means you are a talmid of Jesus. You are a follower, a student, a learner, a Ralph Macchio, a Daniel LaRusso of uh, Mr. Miyagi King Jesus. That's a terrible illustration. Well, not so terrible, but anyway, uh, Luke 640, Jesus says this, the student or the disciple is not above the teacher. In other words, they're beneath. They're submissive to the teacher. But everyone who is fully trained, there's a training that needs to happen will, what will happen? Be like their teacher. Got it? Okay. So the student is not above the teacher, meaning as an apprentice, as a disciple, we should be humble and eager to learn. Open minds, open hearts, sitting under the uh, feet of Jesus, as it were, or at the feet of Jesus, be, be posturing ourselves under Jesus, as it were. And, uh, but everyone who is fully, tra- okay, so there's training. It doesn't happen automatically. It's, it's not necessarily natural. It's not easy. There's training involved. Um, it's deliberate. It's intentional. And then you're going to be like the master. You're going to be like Jesus. See, the heart of a follower of Jesus is essentially in, in just, big sweeping um, terms. Followers want to know what the master knows. And followers want to do what the master does. Followers want to know what the master knows, right? So there are things you need to know, things you need to understand, uh, questions that need answering. Faith comes by, anybody know that? Hearing, right? There's information, there's, there's listening, there's, there's content. Some of you might be at a place in your faith journey where you're kind of in the sit and listen mode. And there's nothing wrong with that phase of the journey. You sit and listen, you, you receive, you, you're seeking to understand, you're having questions answered. You, you want to understand more of this Christian life and the scriptures and what does it mean? Now, will you have all of your questions answered? Answer is... No, and in fact, that's true for every worldview. If you're an atheist, agnostic, well, certainly that. Uh, Any worldview, whatever your religion, whatever your worldview, you won't have all of your questions answered, okay? But we don't go into following Jesus blindly. We go into following Jesus with an informed faith, and we want to know what the master knows, and then we want to do what the master does. Followers of Jesus obey Jesus. Followers of Jesus imitate Jesus. Followers of Jesus desire to live like Jesus. 
we listen like Jesus, we pray like Jesus, we respond like Jesus, we speak like Jesus, we serve like Jesus. You get the idea. We forgive like Jesus. We celebrate like Jesus. We weep like Jesus. We're courageous like Jesus. We're all these things like Jesus. And in addition, not just our actions, but we want to share the heart of Jesus. What do you, where is his ambitions, his, his desires, his agenda, his intention, his emotion? His, you know, a, a disciple wants to be like Jesus, the disciples, the follower of Jesus, you long to be like your master. Okay, so just to drive this point super clearly home, as a disciple of Christ, as a follower of Christ, and this is the only way that we grow in Christ, is every fiber of your being is dedicated to being just like your master. Everything. Your whole world is to be like Jesus. Every thought, what would my master do? What would my master say? WWJD, there's the bracelet. How would he respond? What moves my man? I got to know because I got to be like him. This is your, your all-consuming passion. This is not some side gig. This is not some thing where you, you, you consider on occasion. This is every, this is the, your entire life is about this. Because... I used to, on occasion, play basketball, some pickup basketball, maybe once or twice a week. That is different than Steph Curry's devotion to basketball, who wants to be the best shooter that the game has ever seen, which has, I think, already happened, by the way. But Damian Lillard is close on his heel. No, anyway, so uh, I'm a Blazer fan. But nonetheless, yes, there's a difference between going out and shooting hoops and being Steph Curry. There's a difference between me playing golf six to eight times a year. would love to play it more. But anyway, and the intensity and the training habits of somebody like uh, Ben Hogan, one of golf's greats, who, who is said to practice 12 hours a day. I mean, you can just imagine the calluses on his hands, his, the, the, his sinewy, you know, strong forearms and shoulders and back and right. I mean, just hitting thousands of balls, perfecting his craft because he doesn't want to just go out cavalierly and kind of knock that white ball around. He wants to be great. And that is the heart of a follower of Jesus, you understand. That is a, the heart of a, of a Christian Christian, little Christ. We don't become God, but we become, we, we desire to become like him. 1 John 2, 6 says, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Because we all know that talk is cheap. Whoever claims, professes, I'm a Christian. Whoever claims to live in Christ must live as Jesus did. And we're called to live differently and faithfully and with purity and righteously and to live just like Jesus. Now, when I say all that, how many of you are like, I got that down. (laughs) Done. Check. Easy. We're moving on. What's next, Joel? Right? No, all of us should be in this place of like, whew, I've got a lot to learn. I still have got some, raise your hand if you've got some growing to do, right? Spiritual maturing to do. Spiritual growing, yeah. And yet, isn't the truth that many of us just stay stuck year after year, sometimes decade after decade, seeing little change. God transforms everything he touches. And if you are following Jesus, he will change you too. Spiritual maturity, if it's not your goal, you're not a serious Christian. 
And if spiritual maturity isn't the goal of Cedar Grove Community Church, we're not a serious church. We want to become more and more and more like Jesus. Okay, so three verses in 1 Corinthians 3. There's so many texts we could refer to, but let's just take a look at this really quick. Verse 1, dear brothers and sisters, now who's he talking to? Are these Christians? Yes or no? Yes. These are followers of Christ. These are believers. Dear brothers and sisters, Paul writes, the Apostle Paul, when I was with you, these Christians in Corinth, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people or as those who live by the Spirit of God. I had to talk as though you belong to this world or as though you were infants in Christ. I want to teach you. I want to lead you. I want to take you somewhere new. I'm going to help you mature and grow. But you're all still what? Babies. You're infants. And it's time to grow up. And for some of you, he is saying, this of course isn't me to you. You guys are all mature. But uh, what Paul is saying to the church in Corinth is it's time to stop acting like babies. He's not saying you've lost your salvation. He's not saying that, you know, you don't care about the Lord. He's saying it's time to mature. It's time to grow spiritually. Verse 2, I had to. There's that phrase again. In other words, you left me with no choice. Like I, I wanted to feed you with solid, but I had to feed you with milk, not solid food, because you, you just weren't ready for anything stronger. You were, you were still teething. I had to treat you like a spiritual baby. I had to, I had to like with the, with the truth of God, and here's, here's what it means to, to walk with Christ. I had to do like the airplane thing, you know, that kids, our parents do with, you know, kids who don't want to eat, like, mm, no, or whatever. And it's like, here comes the plane, you know, or whatever, which even as a kid, a child, I didn't understand that. Um, but anyway, so, and uh, now we understand why there are so many churches that feel the need to do very little more than just entertain people who come. They got to do the airplane thing. Right? You guys ready? We've heard this over and over, but we're not growing because we're not doing. It's not, there isn't when we get to heaven, and I say this, it's not like a Scantron test of all the things you know, or, and then it's like, okay, we'll see how much. No, it's, Yes, the information matters. The truth certainly matters, right? We have nothing without it. But the other side of that coin is that we also must do, we must practice in um, our culture, because we grow up with this, right? To learn, we think of learning as just like knowing, understanding. But in the Jewish culture, you didn't learn something because you knew it or understood it. You learned something if you understood it and did it. And practiced it. So here's what's fascinating. Now, Paul was with them in Corinth around 50 AD. So what are we talking here? I don't know, 17 years after Jesus rose from the dead. But anyway, and, and now we've got Paul's first letter, 1 Corinthians. And that was written around 55 AD. So how much time has passed Went from the time he was with them to the time he's writing this letter? How many years? About five-ish years. And I love this because he's like, look, you guys are still showing up. It's not like you've totally abandoned Christ and your church gathering and all those kinds of things. You're showing up, but you just haven't grown up. And, um, and it's time to grow up. 
Here's what's really cool. Here's another way of saying it. I think Paul is kind of, maybe this is reading too much into it, but I think he's kind of saying it's possible to move from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity in about five years. Now, why do I say that? Because for some of us, our mindset is I can't become really spiritual, and not not perfect, but, but really spiritually strong and mature in Christ until I'm 84, right? Well, just a little over 100 years ago, in the late 1800s, in our country, the average man lived to 44 years old. So if you got to go to 84, right, it's like, that's, that's, that's a long life. You don't actually need that much time. One of the conditions of an elder in 1 Timothy 3 is that they are not a recent convert. And some of us think, oh, yeah, so they have to have been Christian for 47 years. It's like, no, they just need to be serious about Christ for I don't know, five. And the problem we have with that is most people, if we're honest, aren't that serious about Christ for five years. Because a few verses later in 1 Timothy 3, he's like, you know, hey, church leaders and that sort of thing, can't be a recent convert. Paul then implores Timothy, not, hey, Timothy, you're pastoring these people. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young but set an example, right, in, in, in faith. So two points here. If you've been walking with Jesus for, say, 10 years or more, but you still consider yourself spiritually immature, what do you think might be restricting that growth? What's holding you back? What's keeping you from taking being a follower of Jesus seriously? What, what habits you need to break, you know, what excuses do you use? What lies are you believing? Like, what, what's, the, what's the issue? And that's, I'm, I'm not being hard on anybody because I feel like, man, I am so immature in my faith in so many ways. But, but if you're a recent Christ follower, the second thing I'd want to say is if you're a recent Christ follower, be encouraged. It is possible, I think, for you to really mature in Christ, not be perfect, but to really mature in Christ in about five years. So yes, it is a lifetime. And yes, we won't be completely perfect. This side of heaven, even the other side of heaven will be without sin, but we'll still be learning and growing in different ways. But, but nonetheless, it can happen much faster than you think. What does it look like to, to be spiritually immature? I'm glad you asked. Look what verse two says. And you're stu- you still aren't ready. Ready for what? To eat solid food. For you are still controlled by your sinful nature, your carnal selves. And you are jealous of one another, and you quarrel with each other. Those are the two things. How do we know somebody's, you know, still controlled by their sinful nature? They're jealous of each other. They quarrel with each other. I'm glad there's none of that happening in our culture. And then doesn't that prove you are controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living the title of this message is come and live. Aren't you living like people of the world, people who do not know Jesus, people who, are, uh, who have rebelled against Christ, people who don't want to follow Jesus? Aren't you living like them? So two observations I find fascinating. When he talks about spiritual immaturity, he doesn't directly address information that they lack. 
Um, it's not to say they, they don't have more things to intellectually learn in that sense or know or understand. They do. We all do. But that's not the issue. It's how they're living. It's the issue. He's like, you're spiritually immature, not based on like the information you lack, but how you live. And specifically, what are they doing? They're treating God's people poorly. They're jealous, envious of each other, and they're fighting, they're quarreling, they're arguing, they're complaining. They're like the Israelites in the wilderness for 40 years, and Moses, you know, is getting complaint after complaint, and all their griping and whining and quarreling and grumbling and all these kinds of things. What if the requirement of a follower of Jesus wasn't to tear each other down, but to build each other up? What if that's what spiritual maturity looked like? What if then the secret to spiritual growth was growing in the context of meaningful relationships, growing with others? They went and they spent. Remember that? Collectively, they were together. They followed Jesus together. Um, Some of us, um, I think, have misunderstood the word unity, like, or we've shortchanged it. We've relegated the word unity to basically mean this. We get along. In other words, we we don't bicker. We don't fight. We get along. But what if unity meant way more than that? What if... What if it's more than getting along with each other? You know, Andrew Poe taught us three weeks ago that we were made for community. It's in our DNA. It's not good for us to be alone. And he talked about that's just a huge issue in our culture. What if we need each other? Why? I'll just say one thing. Many reasons, but why? I don't think you can follow Jesus without following Jesus with others. Okay? I don't think you can follow Jesus, really, without following Jesus with others. Others. I, I, don't, I don't think you have any shot to become who God wants you to be unless you are being influenced by and influencing others who desire the same thing. That's how important this is. Spiritual growth demands that we also have one another. All right, so we're looking at this sort of path to discipleship and this process that we use in this church. And so you might remember two weeks ago, it was the come and see message. And we showed this picture. That's those are roots of a tree and kind of the trunk of the tree there. Come and see, or another way to say that is like, you need to encounter God. And we talk about Moses, the burning bush. You remember that? Okay, and this is how it always happens. Somebody hears a voice. Uh, they're knocked off their horse. They go blind like Paul. I mean, people have encounters with God. They hear the gospel. They're cut to the heart. They need to change. They repent, whatever. They have this encounter with God. Come and see is encounter with God. Well, today, come and live. Come and follow means growing together. So those are the branches. I know it looks like the roots upside down, but those are the branches. The picture will make more sense as we go. Let's look at the picture together. So we've got come and see the root system and the, the trunk, and then come and live. Encounter God, grow together. Encounter God, grow together. Everybody say, encounter God, one, two, three. Encounter God, grow together. Grow together. Encounter God, grow together. There's one more step to this process, but we need to understand this. Because we do not grow, we do not mature like we ought to in isolation is the point. 
We need one another. You see, listen, Jesus says this, I am the vine and you are the what? I'm the vine, you're the branches. And now we're like, the metaphor is like, ooh, it's even biblical. Okay, so there's the branches connected to, to the vine. And what is that saying about us? Here's what it's saying about our unity, about our togetherness, about our oneness. It's not saying that what brings us together is our age. What brings us together is our gender, our intellectual capacity, our socioeconomic position, our physical health, our hobbies, our favorite music, our favorite sports team, our, dare I say it, denomination. What brings us together, the branches are attached to what? Christ. Jesus brings us together. This is, this is what creates unity. It's not just finding people that are just like us. Ooh, that would be a scary world. But it's us all connecting as the branches to the vine who is Christ. And I love this kind of metaphor because God is in this sense. It's like, I don't need you. In other words, I'm self-sufficient. You need me. You don't nourish me. I nourish you. I don't depend on you. You depend on me. So the metaphor works. God is sort of like the, 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 the vine and the, the root system. And that, that's where we find. And we're like the branches connected. Right? And so we grow together. But how? Only connected to Christ. In Christ. You see, why is this important to understand because, and this is what we all intuitively know, but nobody wants to say, because becoming like Jesus is really hard. It, that's the truth. Becoming like Christ is really difficult. The world is against you. Your flesh is against you. Satan, demons, this demonic realm, evil, dark, whatever. It's against you. There's almost everything against you. And so to swim upstream, you can't do it in your own strength and you can't do it alone. You need the power of God and you need the power of God in others. And we are to help each other swim, right? Don't, don't we believe that like the whole Steph Curry metaphor, right? Don't we understand that becoming like Jesus is really hard? That's why we don't mature. So this is so important to grow and mature spiritually. And, and it's a difficult process. Why didn't God create or establish something that would help us do something so difficult? He did. It's called the church. Okay. Ecclesia, um, called out ones. Uh, the, uh, this assembly, this gathering uh, of called out ones. The church is God's idea. And I love the story of how the church uh, started. So um, seven weeks, 50 days, it's Pentecost, um, after Jesus, after Easter, essentially, his resurrection, um, what happens that the Holy Spirit shows up among God's people in a very, very powerful way. So powerful that it 
it drew like cra- massive crowds of people, you know, like, like people are drawn to like a middle school fight or something like that, but just, but in a good way. But anyway, I probably shouldn't use that illustration, but a uh, massive crowd and they're, and they're, and they're like amazed at what's going on and they're confused and they're perplexed and they're kind of arguing about it. But then Peter, there's this moment, he stands up and the text actually says, Peter raises his voice. Some of you are wondering, why does Joel raise his voice sometimes? Because Peter raised his voice. Anyway, so he stands up, he raises his voice, and he preaches this message in a powerful, in a compelling way, right? And he warns them, and he, he pleads with them, and he, and he says, you've you got to turn to the Lord. And they're cut to the heart is what it says, right? They're cut to the heart, and they're convicted. And they ask Peter, what do we do now? And Peter's like, well, I'll tell you what you need to do. You need to turn from your old life and turn to the God who loves you, who made you, who's got a, who, who can forgive you and give you a new life, right? And then you're going to show the world that, you're going to show your community that by getting baptized, all right? So you need to repent and be baptized, and 3,000 of them do in that single day. And that was the start of the church. This happened in the very same city that Jesus was crucified in just seven weeks earlier. And this movement spread throughout the world. And now over 2 billion people profess to follow Jesus. I'm not saying they all are, but over two, well over 2 billion people. And in places you'd least expect it, Christianity is growing like crazy in communist China, for crying out loud. And some of us are biting our nails and like, well, the politics here are keeping me from walking with Jesus. Do we know the story of the early church? When they were being fed to lions? When they were being lit on fire? When the whole Roman Empire was against them? And Christianity just flourished and it grew and it spread like wildfire. Why? Because these people were fully devoted to Jesus. And here's what happened. So 3,000 of them, right? And then what did they do? Well, in order to keep the movement going, in order to keep it progressing, in order to keep growing, they began gathering together. And it says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to prayer. And they gave generously to one another. And every day, it says, every single day, they gathered for, for fellowship. You know, Jesus is at the center of these relationships. And they're, they're gathering together for fellowship. And they established this prioritized single-minded way of living that included consistently, continually, habitually meeting together, gathering together, uh, eating together. I like that part. Worshiping together, praising God together, serving together, even being persecuted together. And they grew and grew and grew and they grew like spiritual muscles. And it says in Acts 2.42 in the Contemporary English version, um, it's kind of a loose translation, but it says this, they spent their time learning from the apostles and they were like family to each other. Isn't that cool? You see, nothing, absolutely nothing in this world brings different people together like Jesus. But we've got to spend time together. And so I've, like four years ago, we, we talked about this. If you were around then, you might remember, but um, I talked about this this idea of rows and circles and rows are what's happening right now we're sitting in in rows by the way we're gonna need to add some chairs in here but anyway so we're sitting in rows and uh and rows are good they're usually somebody's talking and you know the rest is is kind of listening now we do have that 20 seconds of meeting each other so there's that uh but but for the most part you know we're gathering information and and we're we're trying to hear uh, from god and and have the holy spirit work in our lives and 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 learn and understanding these different things right and so there's there's the the picture of a of a row and then um and then you're in that 
That's you right there. Okay, there, you're in that. You're in one of those seats. You're in one of the rows. And that's awesome. That's a way that we can grow. And there's instruction and listening and all these kinds of things, right? And then, but here's the thing. It's like, well, we, we, we need to have these relational environments. And so we need to move into a circle. And so now we have like a, a circle there. But there's sometimes there's people who like, they, they're in a row, but they're not in a circle. They're like outside the circle, okay? And, it's, and that could be all kinds of different reasons, right? Like they don't have time. Like um, they're just too busy. They're whatever it is. Uh, they just don't want to. They were in a circle before. They were hurt, whatever. But uh, they're not in a circle. And then there's other people that look like they're in a circle, that appear like they're in a circle. They're like closer to the circle. In fact, they might even meet with the circle, but really they don't open up, they don't share, they don't ask for prayer, they don't, you know, kind of dive in and go that extra mile and whatever, and, and there's some concern and there's some fear and there's some whatever, because again, people hurt people and, and that sort of thing, and so that's, that's them there, and the truth is we have a choice. We have a choice to either remain in a row or get plugged into a circle. Now, Personally, I don't really care what circle it is. I just want people growing in faith together, heading in the same direction. So as a church, we want to help you. I think we have a graphic for this. Move you, help you move from a row into a circle. That's it, right? Now, we want you also to come back next Sunday. So rows are still super important right? Rows are important. The teaching, the instruction, right? That's the, the early church did this too. All right, rows are important, but the community is equally important because life change, true life change tends to happen best in the context of meaningful relationships. How are you going to ever expect to do the hard thing of becoming like Jesus without circles? You say, yeah, but Joel, I'm going to meet with imperfect people. How are they going to help me? And they're asking the same thing about you. (laughs) But something amazing happens. And some of you that have been in meaningful relationship, it's like these imperfect, strange people come together who share very little in common except Christ, but they're heading in the same direction. They're facing the same direction. Might be at different places in the journey. In fact, they are. They're heading in the same direction. And somehow, that new Christian strengthens the faith of the saint who's been walking with Jesus for 60 years. And vice versa. As Paul writes in Romans 1.12, your faith strengthens mine and my faith strengthens you. And so this is kind of a picture of what we want to encourage at our church. So like with our guys, we started this and we'll talk more about it in the future, but these things called fight clubs. We're a group of like three to five guys get together who are heading in the same direction. They just want to um, catch up, pray for each other, ask some questions. What are you learning? What's God doing in your life? Hey, are, are, you, are, are you representing Jesus in your home and your workplace? Are you looking at stuff you shouldn't? Are you, you know, just asking some of those questions and then, and then um, providing some help, providing some accountability, providing some friendship, some love, some care, some prayer, some power. And, um, and then guess what? 
people, people grow up. Now, I've never seen the Brad Pitt movie, okay, just so you know. But uh, yeah, Fight Club, and why? Because we're, we're fighting for our marriages. We're fighting for our families. We're fighting for each other. We're fighting for our purity. We're fighting for all these things to, to be honorable, Christ-following Christians. So the question is, do you have a circle that's helping you become more like Jesus? Well, I know some of our stories are, I was part of a church and I got hurt and something happened and I stopped whatever. And um, you are not alone in that. And I will assure you that our church is imperfect as much as your last church was. But um, we are taking this seriously and and we are seeing God move. And um, I mean, I could share story after story of some really cool things that are happening in this church. But um, I want to share with you a video just a little testimony, I think it's about four minutes long, of somebody who has seen the value of being in a church community really impact their lives. His name is Josh Smith, and uh, take a look at the video. <laughs> 